Welcome. This is Leah Parker, and I'm here with Donna Otto, who has been teaching us for since 1987. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. And we're here here this week to talk about the week of weeks, or Holy Week, as some people might call it. Mm, We are. Yes. As those of you who know me at all, you know that I have a great passion for everything that goes on during this time that we set apart. And so today, I am, if if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. I thought one of the things that we so easily forget is, what was the week about and how did it start? And recently, someone paid me a compliment. And, you know, it's always nice for someone to say something nice about you. But when it hits the mark of something that I've always set my high to be this kind of woman, and she used this word, and I thought, that's it. I'm so grateful that it can be seen sometimes in my life because I see it in Christ's life, and I especially see it in this last part of the road to the cross. I suppose we could call the week of weeks the final road to the cross. But Jesus was very intentional. He knew what he came to do. He had a goal. And while it was hard, and he even asked if it could be lifted, he set his face like a flint, a passage found in Isaiah 30 years of living and three years of full-time ministry that led to the cross. And this week of events, distilled truths, had deliberate deeds. Each step was calculated and premeditated. He had a plan and he had the authority to do it. This truth, um, with no mistakes in it, was one betrayed, even the betrayer was a part of God's plan. So I think I'd like to ask you as we begin this time together, how intentional are you? Now, that may not be your key word in life as it was in mine, but how intentional are you? Do you believe that you have a plan? Do you believe that God has a plan? Do you know what it is? Are you willing to find it out? And if you do find it out, are you willing to obey it? Sometimes I think I wish I had kept a list of all the times that God asked me to do something and I didn't do it. I don't want that list, actually. I don't want to remember it. But I know it is true. I know that it is true. So I just want to give a little summary of the things that this week really looked like. First, it was sacrifice. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life. It was intentional. It did not just happen to him. Let no mistake, let no history record convince you that these were just happenstances. They were not. He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior, the Son of God, the Holy One from the beginning. And yet he chose himself to become a man, a man, a a human being like us. At Christmas, I most often think of that because I think we are preparing for his birth and the Son of God a part of the Trinity reduced himself to living in Mary's uterus for nine months and coming through the birth canal to be delivered. 82 times in the New Testament, 81 in the Gospel, where he speaks of himself as being the Lord of the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God. Now, I want you to know that one of the things that I struggle with in being intentional is I think I know a lot. 
I've always thought I knew a lot. I think I thought I knew a lot when I was 12. And so sometimes I get in the middle and I act or I take over the role of playing God. Do you do that? Do I? Yeah, do, do you do that, Leah? Do, I, I looked at you and I thought, yes, do you do that? Take over. You think you know it. It's good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And are you surprised by that? No, not anymore. I think <laughs> I think that the uh, life lessons have taught me that when I start beginning, it's arrogance to go, I already know this, Lord. I already know this. I already, I've heard this. I've, I've walked it. I know it. Mm-hmm. There's always something to learn. Yeah. It's, it's like I say, I got this. I don't need your help. Mm-hmm. I take over. I take charge. I don't like being the things that God calls me weak, frail, imperfect, not as intelligent as I'd like to be. Here, God is acting like a man just because he loves me and because he loves you. And this is intentional. So on Saturday, uh, before Palm Sunday, uh, Exodus 20, 9 and 10 tell us about the rest, about taking a Sabbath rest, about stopping, about giving everything up, And I know how hard it is to take a Sabbath in the lives of American human beings. We're fast, we're busy, we're planned, we're overplanned. And you can do this. You can do this. The world can survive without you. I I often think of Susanna Wesley and just was talking with a friend and her grandchildren about the Wesley family. She had 25 births and delivered 19 children. They lived in a very small house, and for her to find a place of quiet, she wore an apron, and her children knew when the apron went over her head, the house was quiet. How do you like that one, moms? We have a hard time getting our kids to quiet down in their own separate rooms. So Sabbath was how Christ began this final week, and that can include many things, worship, reading, music, whatever worship is like to you, Jesus went to the synagogue. The week began with rest. He's teaching his disciples. He's finishing these teachings. I know how I feel when I do a weekend conference. By Sunday morning and the last lesson, I think, have I tied this all together? Have I said everything I was asked to say? Lord, are all my notes together tied up? And that, I am confident, is how Christ felt. He had trained them. He had given them teachings. He had won their souls and taught them how to engage with people. He he had done all the things he had been asked to do. Psalm 39, 6 says, Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Jesus stopped, he rested, and he worshiped. He allowed Mary to worship with him. It was the intentional preparation of the week. And he is trying to say to us, don't try so hard. I love you. I care about you. You cannot add anything to the salvation gift that I brought. On Sunday, he prepares to go to Jerusalem. There's a lot of talk in the city 
about this Jesus. And it's not all welcoming talk. It's not all I can't wait to see him kind of talk. And we know this account of him coming over from Bethany and Jericho, and he gets to the top of the hill, and I have been there several times. It's not a big hill, but he gets to the top of the hill, and he looks over the city. He pauses. The donkey is provided as a word of fulfillment out of Zechariah 9 and 9 and 10, and I absolutely love a statement by Corrie Timboom while she lived here on this earth. She said, do you think for a moment that that donkey thought all the praise and worship and hallelujah and palm waving was for him? <laughs> no, it was for Christ. There was hosanna and praise and palms and clothes, and they laid it at his feet, their coats as the tradition found in First Kings 9. A sign of respect, a sign of respect. And he says in this compassionate time, if I tell them to stop praising me mm -hmm. so I don't get in any trouble because I'm going into Jerusalem, then the stones will cry out. And I love knowing enough of the Bible and history to know that <clears throat> Israel is a place full of stones. The statistics are that for every visitor who has ever been to the Holy Land, if they had all taken one stone home with them, there would still be billions of stones. And in this passage saying, if I ask those men and women to stop praising me, the stones will pray me and praise me. And there are many stones to do that. He sees the city, that portal, I've stood there, and I wondered what it must been like for Jesus to look over the city, to be intentionally going into the city, and to know that this city is in trouble. He weeps. On Monday, he begins this week of week with every day having an act or an action that's recorded in the Gospels. <clears throat> the money changers happen on Monday. Uh, what is going on when they go to the temple to worship? They have to have a sacrifice. And so they're selling the sacrifices, but they're overselling them. They're manipulating the people. They're giving them what <clears throat> they don't want or what they don't need. They're not serving them. And Christ walks in and he is shocking, shocking. He is very loud and very boisterous. These are the high holy days. This is right before the Passover. And he, he says, get out of here. He turns the table over. He calls them money changers. He just wants them to go. He intentionally went to the temple to do that. This week of weeks describes how intentional he was every day and how the gospel writers record it. On Tuesday, he goes by a fig tree and he curses it. Uh, it's a, a part of the parable of the talents found in Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 26. And he basically says, you have one life and use it well. Don't sit on the fence. Don't try to wear Christianity. Don't try to trust and obey out of your own self. If you're a fig tree, produce fruit. And this fig tree was not producing fruit, and he cursed it. He cursed it. 
a very dear friend to our family, lost her father a few weeks ago. And I was with my husband and others who love them at a church service just last night. And many times, various speakers, very long service, lots of music, very big, their immediate family was 35 people big, their immediate family. <clears throat> and many times they talked about the deceased by saying, he lived it. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it. He produced fruit. And, and then they described these family members, you know, his wife and their children and what their children married and the children they had and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. That's fruit. That's fruit. That's fruit of our lives, not only physically but spiritually. And all of this family are invested have making their own intentional choices about Christ. Wednesday come, and sol scholars think that this was a day of solitude. And I think I want to say to you, do you have a day of solitude? This last week, as I was <clears throat> continuing my walk with you and with others around the world in preparation for Easter, I was reading in chapter 9 of Luke, chapter 9 of Luke, and it's the transfiguration. And the opening sentence of the passage about the transfiguration, which has nothing to do with Easter, I want to be sure you understand that. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, and it's talking about Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection, he took with him Peter and John and James, his closest buddies, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And I thought, here is Christ in the middle of this week, in the middle of this week, and he takes his three disciples to go away for silence and solitude. Now, I think I know a lot of you who are listening are just like me. Silence and solitude, where will I get that? How will I get that? I don't even know how to do that. And I will tell you quite candidly, it was the hardest thing that I ever learned to do. I have a little scattered in me. A lot of people have said to me, you must have a big case of ADHD. And I may. But I will tell you that sitting down, being quiet, trying to not move around, look around, think around, <clears throat> write something down on a piece of paper. As a young woman, I remember a wise woman saying, when you go to pray, your mind will be distracted. Take a piece of paper, and every time you get a distraction, write it down. Well, I did that, but I still had distractions. And I wanted to get to the place where I could learn to be quiet with the Lord. I believe he speaks to us individually through the Word, through other writers, Christ Christ-centered writers, through our friends, through our family, through the culture we live in. He speaks to us. And here he goes and sets this time aside uh, just before the major part of the week of weeks begins. And that's Thursday. It's Passover time. You probably remember the account. He sends his disciples to go and find this man and he's got a room, and now he's had the donkey, and now he needs a room. <clears throat> I think it's kind of like we say, we need a room as we're traveling. 
But he knew exactly where the room was going to be. He was going to find the man. The man helped them put it together. It, it's the whole piece of that evening, which is called Maundy Thursday. And I've mentioned this during this past few weeks of, of teaching, and I want to mention it to you again a little more specifically. There are churches in your town that celebrate Maundy M-A-U-N-D-Y, Thursday. It's a holy day, and Christians have called it Maundy Thursday because it commemorates the events of two things. The first thing is that this dinner, Christ takes off his robe, gathers a towel, and he washes the feet of the disciples. I've had this happen to me, and it is a very humbling experience. And we know because the scripture gives us account that Peter says, no, absolutely, positively not. My husband has a toe that the grandchildren call the Satan toe. I mean, that's how ugly it is. It's been infected. It's been healed. It's been replaced. It's, it's just ugly, ugly, really ugly. And the kids, when they were little, they would kind of get around Boopa and point at it and... Now they've given it a name, and it's just an ugly toe. And if you had an ugly toe, you might not want to take off your shoes and have someone wash your feet. I don't think that was Peter's problem. He just suddenly became holier than thou and said, no, no, you cannot wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. The Maundy word means the ceremony of washing of the feet of poor, of the poor, And if you've never done that, may I encourage you to do that. There's probably a ministry in your town that is working in the poorer sections of your world, and they have a foot washing in our town, the ministry that does this, um, also measures their feet on a piece of paper, and then they take that piece of paper and they buy shoes for all of the children whose feet they have just washed. Mondi comes from an old French word, Latin word, which means to mandate or command. And that's what Jesus did. He said, no, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, uh, you're in trouble. Then I have no part of you. I cannot possibly be a part of you. You cannot be a part of me. So during the supper, he washes the feet of the 12 disciples and they share their final meal The meaning of the washing of the feet is layered. It is said that in the ancient world, a host would offer water for their guests because they wore sandals, so they washed their feet as a sign of hospitality. But in this case, Jesus is not only hosting this dinner, but he washes their feet as a sign of humility to remind his servants how humble he is, and that he's calling them to take on that mantle. And the second thing that happens is the Last Supper. You've probably seen the Leonardo da Vinci iconic painting of the Last Supper. And if you haven't, go to your library or your um, library on your computer and pull the picture up, show it to your family. This Last Supper is described as the final meal of Christ with his disciples, right before the arrest and the subsequent crucifixion. It's called the Last Supper because it was the last time they gathered together around a table together for a meal, which became the institution of Christ. 
and I don't recommend songs very often. I think I'm kind of slowed to find songs, to find groups that sing songs. But there's a group called Sila, and um, it has written and sung and produced a song called At This Table. And for those of you who have been around homemakers for a while, you know that I did a very um, concentrated teaching on the power of the table. And I'm just going to read you one verse in the course. At this table, everyone is welcome. At this table, everyone is seen. At this table, everyone matters. No one falls between. And the course says, so come as you are. Remember the door is always open. Yes, come as you are. That song has been roaring around in my heart the last month because I think that's what Christ was saying to these men. Come as you are, Peter. Denial. You, you're, you're never going to deny me, and then I'm telling you that you will three times before the sun sets. Judas, who had already made the act of denying and betraying, the prayer in the garden that they could not watch and wait with him, the betrayal kiss, all of these things happen on this Maundy Thursday of the week of weeks before Christ is taken on Friday uh, to be in prison. The cross was no accident, no tragic surprise, not unexpected. In Isaiah 53 and 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him. And this area in the old city of Jerusalem, Caiaphas and Pilate, abused by the soldiers, casting lots for his garment. If you're using the week of weeks, you'll know there are some dice in the basket to remind your children and remind yourself that they took these dice because normally these garments were torn and everybody got a part of it. But this garment had no seams. And that was so amazing to the soldiers that they cast dice to see which one was going to get his garment. Just happened that they knew this and saw this seamless garment. And I think, I wonder if they were seamstresses. I wonder if their mothers had taught them about garments. I wonder if they had always wanted to have a seamless garment. Many things happen, and I'm going to talk to you um, in the next few days about the last words of Christ. He gave himself voluntarily. He did not fight. Even when Peter went to slice off his ear, he did not resist the arrest of the <clears throat> soldiers. Comes a Saturday again, and this is the Sabbath of the Jewish world, and uh, they rested. Jesus was dead. He was dead. He had laid in the tomb. And everyone thought that that was the end. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine talking about that? Leah, what do you think the conversation would be between you and I on Saturday morning? It's so hard to put yourself in their shoes because we know he came back. They didn't yeah. know that. So there would, uh, I would think there'd be a hopelessness. There would be a, we thought, but it wasn't. 
because they didn't understand the full canon at that point. So yeah. I it's it's I almost I it's too far removed for me to even yes. understand it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I feel the same way. It feels overwhelming to mm-hmm. me. But I was thinking about you and your generation <clears throat> and your children. Uh, the phone and the texting and it's so immediate. Mm-hmm. So immediate. And think of that world that there was nothing. You couldn't get a, a mile from there. You'd have to walk that mile to be able to tell them. Mm-hmm. So they were congregated in little groups and everybody had to be thinking and talking about it in their own way. Have you heard the statistic that you <clears throat> learn more in a week now than they learned in a lifetime? Yes. And there's another statistic, and I don't have it, but there was a time in the 1800s, late 1800s, where one human being could know everything that was known. <laughs> and that blew by us so fast, so long ago. Well, I, I, I thought about that in this last week. Uh, it was a quiet day. Mm-hmm. It was a morning day. It was a Sabbath day for the city. And then Sunday comes. And there's a wonderful sermon done by, we're not sure who the, the preacher was, um, but he was a rousing, rousing, loud, rambunctious preacher. And he, the message was called Sunday is Coming. Mm-hmm. The mus- Sunday, don't worry because Sunday is mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. And I love that concept. When I get myself in the middle of something, I think Sunday is coming. And I think I want to say to those of you who are listening, is there a Jerusalem in your life? Are you weeping over someone, your marriage, your child, yourself? Do you have heartaches? I think these words I've spoken today are words spoken about a very intentional Jesus, a very intentional Jesus. And I hope that you are planning for the days I've had to bring your family someplace to worship the Christ um, and what he did as a sacrifice. Again, Monday services are available all around your city, all around your place. Um, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, what was the question I was going to talk to you about while we were in the middle of this today? Well, we need to make sure everyone knows that these resources oh, yes. are in the podcast notes. Okay. So there is a detailed study about Week of Weeks, as well okay. as the Easter Basket directions. Um, they will be in a link in the podcast notes. Okay. So and that's good. That'll remind me to say this. Um, so the Week of Weeks is a five or six page document. And I think I've said this because I'm going to do it again this year. I don't do it every year. And it's a synoptic, the synopsis of each day's event that I just briefly summarized for you. For example, when Jesus comes into the city, Palm Sunday, there are passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But on the second day, And they're listed here on this resource. On the second day, when he curses the barren fig tree, there are only passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So these gospel writers, they all wrote it from their own perspective. And this is five or six pages of information for you. It gives you a phrase about all the passages. So even if you just read the information about each day, you would understand what the week of weeks looks better, like better than you may now. And then the week of weeks basket, moms, 
If you um, have children, young adults, my husband and I still set our basket out every Easter. There it is in the basket. I have a purple cloth on it. I have a purple bow on it. And inside, I have a big green palm. Hard for you to have in your locales if it's snowy out there. But something that reminds them of a palm, a bag of money, a dried fig, a bottle of perfume, a chocolate kiss, a pair of dice, a stone, and a bag of spices from my kitchen. These items represent the passages of scripture that you find in the week of weeks, information and material. And then the last thing is really a little more fun. I think it's fun because a lot of families would like to produce a play. How do we do this at home? And I I kept track of this because because I keep track of things. 1977, I wrote a play called The Week of Weeks. And there's a narrator who reads everything. And there are a few voices, Peter's voice, a servant's voice, few one-liners for the cast. I don't even know how many there are in the cast. But we've been doing it at our house on Easter Sunday for decades. And one of the families who comes to celebrate Easter with us, they have seven children. And the first time they came, their oldest children were 11 and 12. And one of them was Jesus, and the other one was Pilate, and a little girl was Mary, and they hated it. They just, oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not putting on this costume. And we have robes and bathrobes, you know, with ties and things for their head and a sword, various things. And I'm not being Jesus for sure. I just got a word from her last week, and she said, One of the adults now married with children of his own wants to know if he can be Jesus. We laugh so hard. These kinds of traditions matter in our families. We do them to give honor to God, to teach and to train, but mostly to remind all of us of the intentionality of Christ's life. And this week of weeks, which is a most substantial full of places for us to pause and say, am I being nearly as intentional? Am I doing what I believe Christ has called me to do in these days of my life? I, I years ago, took the words of a song, and I just want to read this before we close today. <clears throat> the song is Change Our Hearts. Change our hearts this time, your word says it can be. Change our minds this time, your life could make us free. We are the people you're called to set apart. Lord, this time, change my heart. And I'll never forget where I was when they sang these words. And I thought, every year we come to this time of preparing for Easter We do it when we come preparing for Christmas, and we pause to say, what happened? Who are the characters in the story of the birth of Christ? There are many of them. Who are the characters in the story found in the scripture in the Easter exchange? Did we come with our hearts to be changed? And as we get close to the days of the celebration of the resurrection, 
are you having your heart changed? I pray you are. I pray you are. Well, thank you, Donna, for that reminder. We It may be information that we've heard before, but it's always nice to be refreshed. Mm. And I think it's um, a good idea to try that week of week study that's again in our podcast resources. And um, as always, look on the website for things all the time. There's a lot of good things back there. Well, we are modern homemakers with the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make your day uncommon by finishing week of weeks, Holy Week with us.